question. Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Um, so just a few things announcement-wise. We want to go over real quick before we get started. Um, first thing is, is next weekend our class is cleaning. Uh, we got the church to clean, so uh, um, I don't know what day the first is, but I have listed it on May first. I think that's a Saturday. So, um, so only normally, normally, normally do a Friday night. Okay, so if we can, um, if you can make it to come clean, that would be great. Uh, we don't. We used to for the longest time had several different teams and. Um, we just don't have enough people in the class to really divide it up into t- teams this year. Maybe that'll change over the course of the rest of this year. But um, so if we can make it to, uh, about six, we do five so that we can beat five issues. Well, five, five to five thirty. Whenever you can make it. I know some people have to get off work and then drive here, but. Um, if we can get that done, that would be good. Vacuuming, cleaning the, tra- the bathroom, and take the trash out, clean the windows, things like that. So um, that's a, that's this coming weekend. Um, and I just had some reminders to play for pray for the Arnies. Uh, Gwen texted me this morning, and I uh, just wanted um, they're not going to be able to be here today. And they were hoping to, but Gwen has had some. Um, some biopsy work done on his kidney and uh, he's supposed to be getting the results back here pretty quick and so he's just asking for prayer that that all go well um, I think you're supposed to meet with the doctor I don't think he gave me a day that they're meeting but uh, anyways it's just being prayer for, for him and he's gone through a lot of things over the last several years and uh, they were kind of hoping that this would would pass them but uh uh, there's some things that the doctor sees that they want to have a conversation, and I think the way he put it was talk about what their plan of action would be. So let's keep the armies, especially going in, in in prayer. Pray for the Balkans. Uh, I haven't talked to them in a few weeks, but um, just keep uh, sharing in, in prayer. She's going through an awful lot herself. She's dealing with a lot of things going on. I know she's had cancer for a long time, and um, we thought that maybe things had subsided on her but just keep her in prayer also Sharon De Leon uh, just want to mention her I, I think she's back out of the hospital but I don't really know the status anybody talked to her recently I talked to her the other day she's feeling much better um, she's at home now I, I thought she was at home yes and she has to go back to the doctor I think she said I think she was home last week it was more of a urinary tract infection and her medication. So she went and Getting all that in balance. her son to get her kind of on the right track. And she said she was still, she sounded much better. I'm glad to hear that. Just her. And I don't know if everybody heard or not or got an email from Brian, but uh, Manuel Estebani, many of you, I hope, remember him. He is, uh, he was sent out at least some of Baptist Temple. He is a uh, Mexican. Uh, um, Citizen, but he was sent out of Lee Summit Baptist Temple quite a few years ago, actually before we, Jewel and I even came, so more than 12 years ago, uh, to pastor a church in Juarez, Mexico, or on the border of uh, Texas and Mexico. And uh, I don't think I could tell you the name of the church, uh, unfortunately. But uh, he passed away this week uh, due to cancer. He had colon cancer, and uh, he's been fighting that for about three or four years. And um, he just, he didn't make it. Uh, he's got promoted to, to be with the Lord. Uh, so pray for Martha. Uh, and uh, his, his family, his kids are grown, got grandkids and so on. But uh, just be in prayer for Martha. Be prayer for the church because uh, we don't know right now what's going to happen to the church, who's going to pastor the church, what's going to happen. If, if uh, at least I'm a Baptist temple, which... Uh, was directly involved in that start of that church even before Manuel, um, and uh, maybe they've got some some plans they're going to be working out and to provide some assistance until they can get a pastor re, uh, to uh, to fill in that uh, that vacancy. But just be in prayer for them. Uh, whereas, as you 
probably know or remember was a hot spot for the drug cartels and the battles that took place there all the time and Juarez stuck it out or I should say Manuel and his wife Man, uh, Martha stuck it out they didn't flee like a lot of people did um, and uh, their church thrived as a result of that so just be in prayer for them uh, be in prayer for uh, uh, baby Daniel Parrott um, that's uh, um, David and Deanne McKittrick's grandchild that just was just born a few months ago is that the right one? 14 months old. Okay, well, months go by fast for me. <laughs> yeah, Keely's a baby, and so it's got a heart condition. So they're asking for prayer for him. And um, so keep them in mind. Of course, there's a lot of other prayer needs that we have. If you don't get the prayer list uh, that comes out on uh, email once a week, uh, you can pick one up at the Connection Center. Uh, just to kind of keep... There's, there's a front and back. There's a lot of names on there for different categories of people for you to pray for. So just uh, remember all of them. Uh, tonight at 6 o'clock, uh, we will be installing our, our deacons, the, ch- the choices that the church made for deacons, I believe. There's six? Seven. 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 So these, some of these men are, are um, have been serving the last couple of years. Some are new. And, <clears throat> and so we'll be doing that. So it would be good if you could be here just to be a part of that, to recognize those men so you know who those are. If you don't know who your deacon is, you can find that information out pretty quickly. Everybody has a deacon assigned, every family, based on geographic location around around the, the town of Harrisonville um, in the church. And so, uh, depending on where you live, you have a deacon. Um, so, uh, kind of keep that in mind. You might want to show up if you can. If not, that's okay. Um, and so, those are a couple of things I wanted to mention in prayer or regard or things that are going on and there's probably some other things too I don't recall yes sir I just want to, the Jalowex prayer support team starting up after church today in the library so oh, okay. we have a prayer support team we'd love to have you so. okay and then they're supposed to be departing back to Zambia have they already gone um, back not yet so and then next week next week okay yeah and um Jan is sick with COVID, so that made Oh, that's things. bummer. Yeah. That's too bad because they were just here and she was fine. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how stuff quickly um, spreads out again. Yeah. So, yeah, keep the dialogues in mind in prayer. And if you want to join their prayer team, then talk to talk to uh, Jeremy. Just show up at the library today. So we have, I think, what, Right after people. service? Right after service. Right after, right so, after main service, yeah. okay. All right, good. So turn over to the book of um, Psalms, uh, chapter thirty. We'll read chapter. We'll read Psalm chapter thirty. Then we'll we'll pray, and then we will get into our study. And um, appreciate um, Lance. He's not here this morning, but he, he's actually sick himself. Um, he doesn't. He didn't say he had COVID. Thankfully, he said he just wasn't feeling well. I didn't want to worry people by him coming here and coughing all over them because he has a cold. And, uh, and so hopefully that's all it is. Um, but uh, I do thank him for stepping in and, and uh, speaking uh, in the real life class last week while we were on vacation. And uh, it was a much needed trip. Uh, we went down to the Grand Canyon and got to see God's handiwork down there. And, uh, it's it's more than I... I mean, you see the pictures, but it's not the same until you see it in real life. Amen. And stand on the edge and get vertigo. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good thing for me. <laughs> but, I would just say, don't look down. Don't look yeah, down. But there was one spot on the east rim that uh, on the second day we were there that we I just stepped out. And just looked, and that's when I got vertigo, and I was like, "Wow, that's cool." I mean, just just how deep it lives, and just the 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 impression that it made on on me at that spot. I mean, I had already seen it for a full day before, and but it was a different spot and a different, just a different perspective. And so we had to do that, and we went to Sedona and hung out down there for a while, and uh, enjoyed that long drive. But we chose not to fly for a lot of reasons. First off, um, COVID is one of them, but uh, carrying this thing around with me is another one. Uh, So anyway, okay, so Psalm chapter 30. I'll read through that. I'll pray, then I'll pause for a second or two and 
or longer and let some other people pray as they as they desire as God leads. We use these verses as our prayer points. Just things that remind us of how we should pray to the Lord. Always good to pray His Word back to Him. And uh, gives us some things to think about as we pray. So, uh, Psalm chapter 30, verse 1. I will extol Thee, O Lord, for Thou hast lifted me up, and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried unto Thee, and Thou hast healed me. O Lord, Thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. For His anger endureth but for a moment, and His favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by Thy favor, Lord, by Thy favor Thou hast made my uh, my mountain to stand strong. Thou hast hid Thy face, and I was... Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made my supplication. What profit is there in, in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall I declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for, turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. To the end that my glory may may sing praise to Thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto Thee forever. And Father in heaven, Lord, we just do thank You and praise You for this this passage of Scripture to remind us so much of our relationship with You and just how much You do for us in the things that we see. Lord, we pray that our life is is a life that exalts Thee uh, on a regular basis, uh, for You have lifted us up. And you have made um, our enemies to to cower before you and us. We thank you, Father, for that. We thank you, Father, for how you take care of us and how, how, uh, Lord, that um, uh, um, we cry. We can cry unto you, and you hear us, and uh, we can make our supplications known before you, and you respond to us. And Father, we just thank you and praise you for all of those. We do want to pray for for Gwen Arney, uh, Lord, and the, um, the the appointment that he has with his doctor this week. Uh, Lord, that you would um, that you would have good news for the Arnies, that you would have a positive out, outlook, Lord. I know that there's a plan that needs to be in place, but Lord, I pray that you would control that plan, that you would guide and direct it, uh, Lord. And uh, and then, as we see here in verse six, Lord, that the the, the Arnies' prosperity would be for towards you and because of you, and they would not be moved <coughs> of the things that have occurred in their life. We pray, Father, as well for. Um, for Daniel Parrott, Lord, we just lift that little that little child up to you, Lord, that you would um, that you would take care of the needs, uh, Lord, both uh, med- medically, spiritually, financially. Uh, support structure needs to be around the family. I pray, Father, for them that you would guide and direct them, uh, and and uh, t- take care of them. We pray, Father, also for the VBS, which I didn't mention, but that planning meeting is right after church today. Uh, VBS is just a couple of weeks, a couple of months away, and I know that they're going to need a lot of things to get done and a lot of volunteers to be a part of that. And so we pray, Father, that you would put all that together. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the Word of God that gives us the uh, the, the understanding of how we can have a relationship with you. And we praise you and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, we, Lord, we thank you for this passage that is uh, David's dedication to um, uh, as a temple, and it looks ahead to the millennium, to the the, for the future millennial uh, temple. We praise you for that, Lord, that, that uh, there's a coming time where you will indeed turn mourning into dancing and, and uh, gird us with, with sackcloth, and that we would worship you. And praise you forever. Uh, we look forward to that promise in our life, Lord. We do pray for those who are sick and not with us. We pray that you would, even even the Jalowicks and, and Lance and others, Lord. But we pray that you would uh, strengthen us and them with your word, with your spirit, that we would um, accomplish your will through your mission.
Father, as we conclude in prayer and prepare for the study in, in Your Word, we just ask that You speak to our hearts, that you, we would open up our minds and our hearts and our spirit, uh, that we might receive everything You have for us today. We pray, Father, that we can be witnesses in this world of the truth and the love and the mercy and the grace of, of You uh, through Your Son, Jesus Christ, and the reality of who He is and what He has done and why He did those things. And we pray, Father, again for... Uh, the names of the, that are on our prayer list. Uh, we pray for uh, people that we haven't been able to see in a long time because of uh, COVID and different uh, situations going on in people's lives. And we pray, Father, that you would just heal this this uh, uh, this land of these things uh, by the uh, the example of and the, by the truth of who you are. And we'll praise you and thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in Psalm chapter, I'm not sorry, not Psalm, but in Second Peter chapter 2, we're going to, we've been there for a while, and of course we met last week with me being out, um, I'm taking, taking a vacation, um, so we, I want to kind of back up, and um, not so much back up on everything, but just kind of get a running start again in Second Peter, um, what we're trying to get accomplished here, and, and uh, some things that, that we need to look at. Uh, I have some blanks on the on the handout, but unfortunately, I don't think that I identified on my notes what those blanks are. So we'll just have to wing those things as best we can. I'll go back in the old notes and drag those out if I have to. Um, but that's just what happens, you know. And when, when I'm in a rush, uh, trying to trying to get too many things done all at the same time. But anyway, in the first letter, just as a reminder, in the first letter, we learned we learned that Paul that Peter was warning us of the enemy who was seeking to remember how he said that he walk around and. Uh, a lion walking around uh, seeking whom he may devour. Uh, so, so there is an enemy that wants to devour our faith and our trust in God and His Word, and that's always the situation. There's always going to be somebody or something or some situation that wants to destroy your faith in the God of creation and in His Word. And so, that was the letter. That was the first letter. That's what he talked about in that. And then the second letter. Peter has been his warning of of an even greater concern. First off, that's like a warning that we just need to focus on what the Word of God, how how it impacts our life, and so on. But in the second letter, he has a greater concern, which is the destruction of the church internally. Uh, And I don't know how often you guys think about that. I don't know how often you pray that God would protect His church or that you would protect His church. I've made the emphasis multiple times, just in the first and second chapters. Of, of Second Peter, that Peter's concern is with the destruction of the church, the destruction of the church internally from sin, from lies, from deceit, and things that fester among the body. And when I say fester, I mean those are not the good things that fester. I mean, if, if that, you know, I don't know if we'd use the word fester on something that would not that would fester that would be good. I don't know. I think of a boil or something like that. You know. <laughs> um, so anyway, so it's a bad deal. And so this second letter is a warning cry from Peter, and in it he gives us a picture of the crime and the criminal. That's kind of what we really looked at over the last couple of weeks when I was here. Uh, the crime and the criminal. And uh, Peter, in fact, let's look. Let's just read the first uh, uh, nine verses, because that's kind of we're going to try to work our way down through verse nine. First four verses are more of an inner, of, of a reminder, but he says. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the cha- into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an, exa- an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. Verse 7, And delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from, the day, to, from day to day with their unlawful deeds. 
In verse 9 says, this, the, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. In verse 10, I'll go ahead and read verse 10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, that they will not, that they are not afraid to speak evil of dig- dignities. And that's probably where we'll pick up next week. But as I was saying, Peter, he's, he's warning us about these people that he calls false prophets and false teachers. And he said people have come into the body of, of, of God's assembly and lied and deceived and tricked and caused problems. And, you know, almost every church has had somebody come into their church at some point in time and fester the church with some sort of falseness and, you know, whether they they bring it in because they think they're telling the truth or they come in for the intention of disrupt, disrupt, dis, disrupting and destroying the church. But Peter says, we got to watch out for that. we got to, we got to warn for that. So, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a serious threat to the body. As I said, Peter introduced us to the criminal and their crimes and the coming consequence of their actions. We haven't got to, hopefully we're going to get to that today, the coming consequence of their actions. But in verse 1, we learned of the false prophets and the teachers. And God had defined a false prophet as one who does not represent or speak for him in his name, nor uh, have they been sent by God, so their vision is false. That's one of the blanks that I have there. But one who speaks not for God or... um, Well, let me just flip back over here. He does not represent or speak for God. That is a false prophet. One that does not represent or speak for God. And that's who he's warned about. Remember what he said in Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 14. You don't have to turn over there. But he said, Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesied lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you false vision and divination, and a thing of naught, and the deceit of their heart. That's a false prophet. God Himself has identified somebody who says, I didn't send them to you. I didn't tell them what to say. I didn't give them a word to speak. And if they're representing me as if I did, they're false, they're liars. And that's, that's who he's warning us about. In particular, they falsify God's word to all the people by lying, deceiving, by basically being the opposite of truth. They are the opposite of truth. And, and you know, okay, so we've, I've mentioned this several times over the course of this study in Second Peter, but the warning that Peter gives us, especially in the first chapter, and he, and he expands it on the second chapter, is... You know what? You know how you protect the church? You need to know the truth. If you don't know the truth and somebody comes in and starts harping on something that they say is true, how are you going to know they're lying? So you're the defense. You're the pastor's the defense, the deacons are defense, but the deacons and the pastors, they can't talk to everybody and they don't hear everything that's said over a, over a dinner table at somebody's home. They don't hear everything that is said uh you know, in a, in a public situation where everybody's gathered together and nobody's sitting around talking, and oh, I read this cool thing in the Bible, or I read some, some I read some book about some author, and he said this is what this is going on, and, and that kind of stuff slips in, sneaks in, and you know what? We got to correct it. We got to stop it. We 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 are responsible for that. And so the identification of their crimes, he mentioned in verses one, verse one, he said they are teaching as denied the Lord. Uh, that has bought anyone. Basically, they're saying, as it says at the end of verse 1, um, they brought in themselves, uh, let's see, where is it at? Who speak privily unto, uh, and shall bring in Daniel Harris, even denying the Lord that bought them. What does that mean? That means they're saying, well, Jesus Christ isn't my salvation. My salvation is probably in some sort of a work. Maybe i got to get baptized. Maybe i got to do the Lord's Supper. Maybe i got to give so much money to the church in order to be saved. All those, I mean, I remember before I got saved, and that was what I used to think the church represented was all of those lies, because those are the kind of lies that I had heard from. And I, I don't want anything to do with that. I, don't want to, I remember one time, and I've told you this before, Julie and I were going to a church when we lived in Illinois, and they wanted our tax, our tax statements. Just so they could know what kind of money I made, or we made, so that we could... They could tell us how much we had to tithe. Yeah, that was like, oh, that's the last time we were winning that church. <laughs> you know, but but that's but it's all false stuff. It's all lies, and so we have to identify. He's he's identified their crimes, 
they denied the Lord Jesus Christ. They denied that He bought anybody with His shed blood. Peter refers to this in verse 1 as a damnable heresy. That's a pretty strong statement. And sometimes, sometimes we just have to call people out. What you, what you speak is heresy. And I know sometimes it's pretty difficult to actually confront somebody and say that. But you know what? We've got to be bold enough to say that. Just as much as we have to be bold enough to say God loves you and He wants you to be saved. The same kind of thing. So the word heresy, it means a self-willed opinion as a substitute for truth. So this is, let me just tell you, this is what I think. Therefore it's true because it's bold, because I never think false. Everything I think is true. Right? <laughs> yeah. You've got to be careful with people like that. And so, um, so they claim in verse 1, the payment of your salvation made by Christ was not sufficient. It's a damnable heresy because it denies the sacrifice of Christ. Unfortunately, there are all too many damnable, there's too many damnable heresies today that, that filter into the church. Let me give you a couple of them. Liberal theology that reduces Christ to a well-meaning teacher. I think I've given you these before, but it's good to go over the list. A denial of the Trinity. A denial of the deity of Christ. A denial of the resurrection of Christ. Those are, those are damnable heresies. To say that Christ didn't resurrect, or that Christ uh, didn't die on the cross, or that He is not God. Uh, you know, those are all damnable heresies. They sneak into the church that is unaware for the purpose of introducing popular new ideas that tickle the ear and turn them away from the Word of God. Acts chapter 20, verse 29. Paul warned us about this. He said in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, For I know this, Paul says, I know this, that after I depart, after my departing, shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And so that he's describing... Uh, the entrance of false teachers, false prophets, uh, liars and deceivers and dan- with dan- their damnable teaching. Their second crime in verse 2, and i got to go through this again because I, I, this kind of all ties together once we get into the second part of this, of this portion of the lesson. But their second crime is the destruction of morality from within the church. And we talked a little bit about that last time I was really together. Their pernicious or destructive ways, he refers to them, leads others to follow after them by rejecting the lordship of Christ. It's too easy for us to come into Christ, come into the church, but deny Christ as our Lord and Savior. Not just our, okay, so Savior, no problem. Lord, I got a problem with that. That's kind of how people would be. I, you know, he's not my, he can't tell me what to do. He, you know, I, I'm not going to listen to what Christ says. The result, um, Peter goes on to talk about, the result is lasciviousness and lascivious behavior such as sexual excess insatiable desires, general perversion, any behavior or activity that denies the Lordship of Christ over you. In Jude, Jude wrote the same thing, uh, that little book of Jude, uh, one chapter. He said in chapter, chapter 1, verse 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what people do. Okay, so so that was the crime and the criminals. And then there was this promise that we that we want to kind of get into. It's going to take a little bit of a while to, to work this all out. But there's the promise of judgment starting in verse 4. Um, and, and we already read that, so I'm going to take the time to read all of it again. But he says, For if God spared not the angels, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and depart, delivered them, uh, and go on and, and in fact if you read all the way down through verse 9 there's a lot of basically conditional type statements if, if God did this what do you think he's going to do about, the, about these false teachers if God did this next in chapter in verse 5 what do you think God's going to do with these false teachers in verse 6 if God did this what do you think he's going to do with the false teachers the point is this while it's easy to review um, what we've talked about over the last two weeks on judgment, we, we don't really have time to summarize the issue of judgment, but in both letters, P- Peter emphasized our responsibility, as I said, to defend the church. But he's also clear here, it's not just your responsibility, so don't, don't take on too much on yourself, and don't fear the, 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 the responsibility to defend the body. But here's, here's his point, is, Peter's point is, God is going to defend the church as well. God will defend His church, even if you don't. So you might as well. 
defend the church. Because God's going to defend it, and you might as well be on the side of God. And so, there's a quick summary of judgment. We talked about judgment last week. And so there's a few things. First off, here's the thing that Paul, that Peter is writing about in these passages from verse 4 all the way down to verse 9. There will be judgment. There will be judgment. And uh, now, we can't examine all of what we would refer to as the seven judgments in the Bible that if you've been through D2, or if you're in HBI, you've, you've, you've been exposed at least to the seven judgments. Right, uh, and uh, so we don't have time to go through all of those. That's not my point, anyway. One thing that we can know, though, that there will come a day for everybody to be judged. Hebrews chapter nine, verse twenty-seven: It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And verse three reminds us that judgment does not delay. Uh, it says in verse three at the end, um, "Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not." Now you might think that God's judgment. Well, when is he going to judge? I mean, if I was God, I would have already dealt with it. Well, in God's mind, he has already dealt with it. See, we have to trust that God is taking care of things. You know, I made this point last week, and I don't know if you guys picked up on it, but it's only been less than a week for God that man was created. It's only been less than a week. So he's dealing with sin in mankind around the world and it's only been a week so it's not lingering his timing his his timing is a whole lot different than our timing we think well it's been months it's been years it's been decades it's been centuries why hasn't God done anything well those centuries to God was like seconds on his clock so don't worry it's not going to linger uh, and so it doesn't linger, nor does it sleep. Verse verse four talks about the unjust are waiting for their reservation for judgment. Notice what he says in verse four again: For if God spared not the angels that sinned not, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness, then it, I just noticed this phrase last night. It says, "To be reserved unto judgment." How many of you have ever called a restaurant and says, "Can I make a reservation?" And so what happened here? God called up His throne and says. These people have a reservation with me. He said, so they're reserved to that judgment. It's not they're not waiting, they're not hiding, they're not just like in a, in a in a cell holding. They are they're facing judgment. Judgment is coming. There there's a reservation made for them, and it's coming. In verse nine, drop down to verse nine. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. He's got it all covered. He's got people... He's he, Okay, I know when you're coming. I know when you're coming. I know when... No, we're all coming to the judgment seat of Christ. Um, and so that's our that's our judgment that we face. We had a judgment at the cross. We got saved. Uh, and God was ready for and prepared for us to be saved at that point. And then there's the judgment seat of Christ. And every one of us will face face Christ. And uh, uh, we will respond to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, I think it's Second Corinthians chapter 5 as well. And so they're talked about the judgment seat of Christ. And so we don't fear that, but we but there's a reservation made for us. We will meet Christ face to face at that judgment. Actually, we'll be on our knees, face down, and He will be looking at us and talking to us, and we'll you know we'll we will answer for our service to Him. So anyway, here's the point. There, okay, first off, there is, there will be judgment. Secondly, there's a need for judgment. Verse 2 says, As a result of the liars in our midst, and the way of truth is being perverted, and will be evil spoken of, therefore, in verse 3, there, a judgment will follow. So there is a need for judgment because of what is being uh, perverted about God and His Word. These false prophets and these false teachers have perverted the most important trait of the Word of God. The most important trait of the Word of God, according to John chapter 17, verse 17, is that His Word, God's Word, is truth. It's not just true. It's a di- there's a difference between saying the Word of God is true and the Word of God is truth. Because we're identifying truth. What, what is true? You know, Pilate asked that, that question of Jesus. What is truth? Uh, well, it's everything I say. He, you know, you kind of want him to say that, but he didn't. He let, he let, he let Pilate go. Um, so these false teachers and, false, and, and teachers and, and prophets have perverted the most important thing. You remember, and we won't turn there because I just mentioned this last time we were together, but I, for the sake of mentioning it again, the church at Philadelphia was commended in Revelation chapter 3 um, 
for keeping God's word. They didn't leave God's word. They were they loved His word. But you know what it said about Ephesians in chapter Revelation chapter two? What did what did Ephesians do? What was their downfall? They left their what was their first love? The word of God. So that's that's where that's where this is going. That's what he's dealing with. So okay, so there's a need for judgment. There's also a basis for judgment. Basis for judgment is truth, and God is the God of truth. So, as a definition, judgment simply means to render a verdict, make a formal decision after a careful and discerning evaluation and comparison between what is expected and what is completed. So, a judge looks at. I mean, even even in our own court system, a judge and a jury they hear the word, they hear the truth of supposedly what happened, whatever the, the accusation is. They compare that to the to the law. And it's okay, yep, we, our judgment is that you violated the law. Same thing with God. God says, this is my law. Everything that's in this book is my word. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge you on that word. And that's what God is doing. So there's a basis. There's a standard, which always is the truth. And God is the standard of truth. Four things about, or five things about God and His standard real quick. First off, God is called the God of truth in Deuteronomy chapter 42. We won't have to turn there. But in Deuteronomy 42, verse 4, He is called the God of truth. He is the rock, it says. His work is perfect. For all the ways are judgment. All of His ways are judgment. Um, A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is He, He goes on and says. And not only is is He called the God of truth, His throne. You ever think about God and His throne? I mean, what it represents, the picture of His throne, what is the symbol of his throne is the seat of justice. His throne is is um, is the throne of is the seat of justice and judgment, as well as mercy and truth. Because when when just think about um, God uh, uh, commanding, and when somebody asks for forgiveness, what he does, he he gives mercy and truth. He gives mercy. I mean, he could he couldn't he you know we're in violation of his word. We've 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 um, we violated the things that his word says, and he could have just said, "Okay, I'm just going to I'm just going to hold you to the word. You're done." But he doesn't. He also applies mercy. That all comes from his throne. In Psalm chapter 89, verse 14, "Judge justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face." So not only is his throne the seat of judgment, he is the keeper of truth. In Psalm chapter 146, verse six which made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that they're in, and which keepeth truth forever. He is the keeper of truth. Um, you know, you can't, it's amazing, you can't take the truth away from God. But that's what a false prophet and a false teacher tried to do. They tried to take the truth away from God. Isn't that what Satan did? Wasn't he attempting to take the truth from God and make it for himself? That's exactly what's going on couple more things real quick Titus chapter 1 verse 2 God can only speak truth he he is his word is never a lie and as a matter of fact in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 it says that it is impossible for God to even be able to tell a lie God cannot if he wanted to God could not tell a lie anybody know why just think about it for a minute Huh? So like you said, the word is truth. The word is truth, and if God could tell a lie, then therefore God is no longer God. That's the key part right there. God is no longer God. Okay, so there's judgment standard, and then I don't know if this is the last or not, but judgment has a purpose. What God does is render a verdict based on a careful comparison between what He has said in His Word and your actions, in order to accomplish um, three things. That the, that the world may see, in John chapter 9, verse 30, 39, that the world may see, also in John 3, 17, that the world may be saved. When people see the truth of the Word of God in your life and in, in the church, people can say, I know, I know, that's what happened to me. I got saved because I started identifying these people preaching truth. I'm not, not to said it that way, but I do remember... Very distinctly telling Julie, I had never heard people preach, speak, taught, teach the Bible the way they were. And, and it caught me so 
off-footed that I I had to get saved in order to get righted. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, and so uh, so the world may be saved, and lastly, that the world may have eternal life. John chapter five verse four twenty four. One last thing about about judgment is God's verdict is is always in God's time. And I kind of mentioned that already, but I just want to mention it again. Peter takes time to encourage the believers as they're dealing with the persecution physically against the church and spiritually within the church. And he goes through all of that. And as you you may recall, we started Peter's first letter um, writing to the believers who were under the hand of the Roman Empire for the accusation of burning down the city of Rome. Like anybody, the question is shouted out, when will our difficulty end? I know uh, with, with my situation, I, there's times that I'm just like, God, when is this going to end? When, why, why, why are you waiting? You know, heal me or take me? And, uh, you know, so that's, that's personal a little bit, but some days there's this struggle. It's hard. It's just hard. Um, and um, I shouldn't have said that in front of Julie. Sorry. Anyway, um, the question is shouted out, when will our difficulty end and when will we be free from persecution? And Peter's answer is the judgment is coming. That's the answer. The judgment is coming. And the verdict is soon to be executed on those who are trying to destroy the church. He said in verse 1, it's a swift destruction. In verse 3, his, his, his judgment results in damnation. So Peter takes time now to give us a pattern. You ever, you probably have all watched, maybe you've been involved in, in your own you know, personal life, I don't know, but you've all watched a uh, cop show, you know, a law show, police officer. And, uh, you know, what do they, you know, when they get ready to go to court, says, we got to have a precedent. we got to have a precedent in order to get a ruling, whether it's a criminal court or whatever. You know, there's always got to be a precedent. What is a precedent? It's simply a pattern for judgment that we can follow to understand judgment and, and the rendering of judgment. So a lawyer or a judge or something says, okay, the precedent is in, in the, the court documents from you know, 35 years ago, 150 years ago, this is what happened, and now we have a precedent. Uh, and the Supreme Court makes, makes real renderings and all the time they're looking for a precedent so that they, they can follow the pattern. Okay, so Peter, starting in verse 4 down to verse 9, is giving us some precedents that you can know that judgment is happening and you can know what kind of judgment. So verse, verse 4, God's judgment on the rebellious angels that sinned. So he says in verse 4, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. That's an amazing statement. Angels that sinned. Now, okay, I don't think it's a it's it's a it's a stretch to say humans sinned. That's not a stretch to say, right? Because it's our flesh that sins. Our flesh craves sin, desires sin. But do angels have the flesh that a human being has that craves them to sin? It's an amazing thing that that angels sinned. Um, so it might strike many as difficult to grab a hold of that, but how can an angel sin? I don't have an answer for you today, but in fact, the Bible doesn't really talk about how they sinned or even really directly why they sinned. The fact is that they did. Um, so typically we think of God's love and God's mercy and His forgiveness of our sins. You may be thinking there's nothing that God will do to punish our sin uh, as long as we're, we seek forgiveness at the cross. Like if, we're, if we're asking God to forgive, He'll forgive. But He didn't do that with these angels. So there's a lesson. The precedent is that there's a lesson here. The angels had a different rule in God's creation than man. In Psalm chapter 148, verse 2 and verse 5, Praise ye Him, all ye angels, and praise ye Him, all His hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. So they were created, according to this verse, these, these, two, these two, two verses, they were created to worship. They were specifically created as being God's messenger as well, meaning that, okay, so an angel carried the Word of God, and they, they, did, they, they messed up both of them. They were specifically created as being God's messenger, meaning the Word that they carry is God's Word. They were never to carry messages from anybody else but God. 
But there were some angels that did. And um, so what was the sin that angels committed? Well, we don't really know. The Bible is not very clear. All we know is what Jude wrote in Jude chapter 1, verse 6. He said, The angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he reserved into everlasting chains unto darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. Oh, there comes that judgment again, that great day of judgment. First, here's the first thing that Jude says that they did. They kept not their first estate. They left their first estate. Which means first... um, the word estate means, uh, it doesn't mean like, well, they have a palace, they have a mansion, they left their home. That's not what he's talking about here. The word uh, uh, estate here uh, is simply a word that means, um, lost my place on my note here. A, uh, it means first in rank, it means preeminence. It indicates a priority or a precedence. They had left their priority. They had left their preeminence. They had left what they were supposed to do. They, they, they went away from that. What was they supposed to do? They were supposed to carry God's Word. They were supposed to be His messenger. They were supposed to glorify and worship God. And they left all of that. Essentially, they left their first love. God was no longer at the center of their existence. That's an incredible thing to think. As far as, the, I mean, the angels, I mean, I don't know what it looks like in heaven. I just imagine there's a throne. And I know, is it, is it Ezekiel that had the four wheels turning every... So, so he paints us a picture of heaven, but I don't know. I mean, that's his vision, not mine. I don't know what it really looks like. But I just can't even imagine what it looked like with all of the created angels around the throne singing, Holy, 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 Thou art holy. And all of the things that they would say about God. And then all of a sudden, a couple of them... You know, I'm tired of saying that. Uh, okay, so God was at the center of their attention, and then all of a sudden... He wasn't. What happened to Lucifer? Lucifer looked down at himself instead of looking up at God. He looked down at himself and he says, well, you know, I'm a pretty cool guy. I think I can be God. Now, I'm not saying that every angel did that, but they all like, oh, look at Lucifer. Lucifer's not looking at God anymore. Lucifer, Let me look at Lucifer for a while. And that's what he's doing. That's what's happening here. They left their first love. of God. God was no longer the center of their existence. He was no longer their purpose. The same way the Ephesians had left their first love in Revelation chapter 2. Secondly, their other crime, their other problem, what they, their failure, their sin, was they left their own habitation. Habitation is generally accepted as meaning heaven. When we think about the angels' habitation, we think heaven, right? We think that's where their habitation was. The only other place in the word habitation is used in the Bible, the same word in Greek anyway, is in 2 Corinthians 5.2. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2, that word habitation is translated as the word house. They left their house. They left... Now for us... According to Second Corinthians five two, for this we for in this we groan earnestly, being desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. So the angelic sin here was that they had desired to leave their abode, their house. They desired to leave being in the presence of God. Their desire was fueled by the anointed cherub, Lucifer, uh, the most influential and the highest uh, and of the highest estate. We call him Lucifer, Satan, the devil, and so on. So it would be as though being saved, we reject the anticipation of dwelling with God in heaven. So, I, you know, I'm saved, but I don't want to go to heaven. Well, I can't even imagine saying something like that, but maybe people do. Lucifer committed the greatest sin, both of his own and through influence in other angels, and ultimately man, to do the same thing. That's what, Paul, that's what Peter's warning us about. He says, this, people are going to come in, and as I already described before, some of the, the crimes of the false prophets was to to basically teach you that you know teach you a false doctrine. So um, so today some of the fallen angels are confined in chains of darkness, according to verse four, Second Peter. Uh, they're confined in the chains of darkness in hell, and this is also significant. Num- there was a significant number of angels that had that inhabited the earth, as Genesis chapter six as well as the demons that were mentioned throughout the, the Scriptures in Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against rulers, or against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, 
against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so I bring that point out just to point out uh, that um, so so some of them are are as as Peter wrote that they're they're reserved in chains of darkness and hell, but some of them aren't there. Some of them some of the fallen angels. Um, are running around the earth with what we would call demons today. I know some people say that they're aliens, and I don't know about that, but definitely the demons. You know, remember, and I don't have to have the passage to turn to right now for the sake of time, but you remember when uh, when Jesus Christ and his, who was leading his disciples, and they came up to the uh, um, um, where was it? Um, and he he came he came onto shore, and he and he was met by a man that was possessed. And he says, "Are you here to persecute us now before our time?" And so, so they were afraid. Those demons were afraid that they were about to get judged then, instead of the, the day of judgment for them. So, I just want to point that out. That you know, when Peter or when Paul said that we wrestle against not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness. That's those demons. It's not just the devil. It's all of those demonic forces. Um, and the second group of fallen angels is categorized with the devil as his angels in Genesis chapter 6. So there's a phrase in the Bible a couple of times for the devil and his angels. Those would be the ones that aren't chained up yet and reserved, but God is going to deal with them, and he, he did deal with them in Genesis chapter 6. Um, they'll be cast out of the everlasting fire of Revelation chapter 40 at the end of the judgment seat. That's where they're going to happen. But in the time for that, the second, the second precedent... Is in verse in this, at the end of verse four and verse five. He says, verse five says, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person of the preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood unto the world upon the world of the ungodly. I think it's interesting that verse four and verse five both talk about the fact that there's angels there, and there are angels that have fallen. The angels fell. And they were they were uh, in verse four. They he spared not the angels that sinned. Uh, and some of that sin actually spilled out into, into the situation before Genesis, which is why God had to flood the earth. That judgment, He had to flood that earth. And so, um, and we're all familiar with the story of Noah. We won't take the time to go back and study all of that. But we, we, we mentioned this in our study of First Peter chapter 3 a few months ago. So we're not going to dwell here very long as well. But look at First Peter chapter 3, verse 20. And it says, "...which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few that his eight souls were saved by the by water." And so, um, God waited patiently until the ark was built, and then the flood happened, even though there were sinful angels going on and all that stuff. Why were the sin- Where were the sinful angels? They're all the way back in Genesis chapter 6. Because um, they came down to cohabitate with with the daughters of men and try to mess up God's plan for for a redeemer. So when the ark was finished, the flood waters released, and again judgment of God was poured out on sin, and it was manifest throughout the world. The judgment was not just against the world for ignoring the preaching of righteousness. According to verse four, it was the casting of the de- demonic angels of Genesis six into chains of darkness as well. You can. I won't take the time, but I'll just make a note here. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 through 39. And Luke chapter 17, verse 26 through 27. And then there's last precedent he gives us starting in verse 6. 1 Peter 2, or 2 Peter 2, verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them which were uh, an overthrow, Making them an example unto those that were after, that should live un, should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, and that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing vexed his righteousness righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds, and so God's this 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 precedent here is God's judgment on the evil cities. So we had God's judgment on the evil angels. We had God's judgment on the evil world. Now we have God's judgment on the evil cities. Jude chapter 1 verse 7 tells us that there were more cities. Now we think Sodom and Gomorrah. But there were actually four major cities in this area 
only Sodom and Gomorrah were mentioned, but all the other cities that are mentioned, Jude chapter seven, chapter one, verse seven tells us the names of those other cities. Um, they they lived in like manner in among all the cities, giving themselves to strange strange flesh, to fornication, and so on. And they despise and they speak evil of dignities, which means that they reject authority, they dishonor especially God. John five forty four. How can you believe? Which, we, which, which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that come from God only. So there's two points that I want to make here. And then we'll, you know, I've got a couple of concluding points that I want to make. Uh, the end of verse 6 speaks of the condemnation of the cities was an example of God's judgment. Remember that word ensample? It's not the same word as example. An ensample is a model for... So it would be, a, I guess another way, I didn't think about it until just now. An ensample is a precedent. Would be an, would be a precedent type of thing. So anyway, um, this contrasted with just Lot, who allowed the wicked conversation of the unjust to vex and wear him down. That was why God was concerned about him. I mean, he, he had to judge because see, if we don't deal with false sin, if we don't deal with lying in the church, we're going to be vexed of our soul the way Lot was vexed of his soul. It does say in in uh, verse. Uh, verse 7, delivered just Lot, who was vexed with the, he doesn't say who, but vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their un- unlawful deeds. If we don't deal with false teachers and false prophets coming into our church and false and false teaching, if we don't stop it, we are allowing our souls to be vexed with the, with false teaching. And you may not realize that's happening to you, but eventually it will affect you because you will start challenging the truth. Well, so-and-so said this, and the Bible says that, so who's right? Well, I'll take that guy because, well, look at him. I mean, he's a pretty righteous-looking guy. And so we have those problems that we can make. Okay, let me give you three points, and I'll wrap up. Point number one, after the precedent... Well, let me just give you the simple point, the bullet point... But well, looking at these precedents and listening to what Peter is telling us, the first thing we need to understand is we have a responsibility to serve in faithfulness. And point number one is this. After the precedent of the rebellious angels in heaven, we can conclude that God expects us to stay on point regarding our worship of Him. I mean, don't, don't waver on your worship of God. Had the angels not been distracted by the deceit and the lies and the false teaching of the anointed cherub... They would not have lost their place in, to judgment. They would not have been reserved now to judgment if they had just not allowed themselves to be deceived. So serve in faithfulness, number one. Number two, obey the Word. With the second precedent that, that Peter gave us of the evil of the world, uh, don't ignore the preaching of the Word. See, the world, the world is under judgment too. Today, this world that we live in today, when we walk out of this door, when you walk out of your living room, you're going into the world, right? And that world is reserved unto judgment today. The only way that we can change that is to declare, to preach, to obey the Word, to, tr- to, to teach the truth, to, re- to reject false teaching with, for the truth. Obey the Word. And then the last point, and it will be done. Follow Christ, not people. Uh, point three here in the third precedent. Be aware of who you associate with, that they do not vex your soul. For even if you escape judgment like Lot did, you will lose yourself or your family as Lot did. Remember, ultimately, because of Lot's failure, he lost his wife. He lost his daughters. Because his soul was vexed. Don't let your soul be vexed. You might be righteous. You might be saved. You might be born again, going to heaven, child of God, spend eternity in heaven. But your soul may be vexed today. Don't be vexed. If it's vexed, then uh, we, have a, we, have a, we have medicine for that. It's called the Word of God. It's called discipleship. It's called study. It's called preaching. You know, maybe, you know what? If you disciple somebody else, uh, there's a there's a responsibility on you to make sure you communicate truth, and so do all of that. So anyway, we'll finish that up. We will wrap up chapter two next week.
Um, there's, there's just a ton of stuff here. You look at a small, oh, it's a small letter. I can read this in five minutes and, or 10 or 15 or whatever. And then you start to teach it. It's like, okay, well, that's 30 minutes on one verse. <laughs> you know, so anyway, praise the Lord. It's all good. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to teach your word. I do pray, Father, for all of those needs that we mentioned already and those that we haven't been able to mention. Lord, you are aware of every person. But especially, Lord, we pray for our soul. We pray for our our position. We pray, Lord, that we never lose sight of you being in the center of our life. And we just ask for your help with that. Grow us, strengthen us, uh, try us, do whatever you need to do, Lord. But make us be the person you want us to be. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.